0: So I want you all to start by doing a little exercise with me, okay? I want everybody to stand up. Good job. Now sit down. Good job. Good. Job. Now stand up one more time. Can't move on until everyone's standing. Okay, now sit down. Good job. One more time, stand up. Okay, you can sit down. All right, so moving on. So, last time that you guys were here, I heard that, I wasn't here, but I heard that you guys talked about God's transcendence. Is that correct? Was that the last thing that was talked about here? Yes? Yeah, okay, good. Um, from that, we're or, or just thinking on your own. Uh, can you guys name for me some, some nouns that would describe God? Uh, uh, no, a noun. Person, place, thing, or idea. Okay, creator would be would be one. Redeemer. How about how about some like like things that you can see that that God God has used in in the word to describe himself. Things that you can, you can put your eyes on and kind of know what it looks like. A lion, that's a good one. A lamb, very good. A rock, okay? All very good. All very good. So The reason I say that is because the idea of God being transcendent is related to the idea of God being imminent, okay? You you can't really truly understand one without understanding the other. It's like two sides of the same coin. Um, that, That being said, what I'm going to do today in trying to talk about God's imminence, I will absolutely and utterly fail at doing. I want you to understand right now, I am in a losing proposition here. I'm here to describe to you God's imminence, and I can't do that because God is so far beyond transcendent, so far beyond anything that we could possibly comprehend or imagine. He is absolutely and entirely other, something other than what you have just described. Now, God has been so gracious to give us some words that kind of describe him so that we have some idea of what God is like. But he uh, is explaining to finite human beings something uh, that is eternal and infinite and, and omni. And we'll get into some omni here in a little bit. O- omni actually comes from a Latin word, omnis, which means all or, you know, of all. We, we say ever sometimes in, in, in certain certain words, and we call them omni. Um, but, but, you know, I say all that to preface what I'm about to say about God's being imminent because just as the, the words that you described cannot really explain who God is, God, God, says, God, God says in his word he's, he's a lion, but he's not really a lion, right? He, he's not really a lion. He's not really a lamb. He's not really a rock, but some parts of those words somewhat describe a little bit about a little bit about who God is. And that's why I say this is a losing proposition. I'm going to try to describe to you the flip side, the other side of that coin, and that is God's imminence tonight. And I will give you some words that kind of, sort of describe what God is as imminent, but it will completely and utterly fail at the reality of the magnitude of God. There was a, a movie that came out probably before you were born. I'm not sure. I get mixed up as to how old I actually am, uh, especially, you know, when you guys look you know, almost adultish and you're like you're, you know, way, way younger than me. But there was a movie that came out a long time ago called "What Dreams May Come?" It was starring Robin Williams um, and a couple other people. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. I would say that it's probably the most theologically incorrect movie uh, about heaven that has ever been made. Um, you know, if you, if you believe the Bible. But I, I remember, you see, the whole premise of that is that this guy dies and he goes to heaven, right? And heaven is not like what we would consider heaven. Heaven is this like ethereal place that he, um, he paints with his imagination as, as he goes. So he arrives and it's kind of like a bunch of acrylic paint splotched everywhere. And through his imagination, he kind of forms trees and a lake and a house for him to live in and all this stuff right? And I remember that at some point in that movie, Kuba uh, Gooding Jr. Uh, shows up on the scene and it's kind of like a, uh, some kind of an angel or something, some kind of nebulous guy who is uh, explaining some things to Robin Williams. And Robin Williams, you know, one of the questions he asks this guy is, well, where's God? And Kuba Gooding Jr. looks up and goes, well, I mean, he's up there somewhere. And I want you to understand just how wrong that idea is and right, okay? There, there's, this idea, there's this idea out there called pantheism. Pantheism is, a, is a, an, a religious idea that basically claims that God is everything. God is everything. So God is contained within the ocean, and God is the elephants as they roam the Serengeti. I remember being in Key West one time on a missions trip, preaching the gospel on Duval Street, and for some reason, there were a lot of folks out there that had this idea of pantheism uh, kind of steeped in what they believed. And I, I, I would usually begin talking to people about the gospel by saying something like, do you know the real Jesus? Or have you ever heard about who Jesus really is? And, and engage them in some conversations, but a lot of the responses I got were, I believe in the universe. I believe in love. I believe in hope. Well, I believe in God, but probably not the way you mean. And you know, this idea of pantheism is that God is found everywhere. Um, deism is another religious idea. Deism is a, is a religious idea that says that God is, God is altogether different from his creation but he's not actively involved in creation. He is is aloof. He's somewhere out there, kind of like the What Dreams May Come movie. He's he's out there somewhere, not really touchable, attainable, seeable, knowable. And all three of those ideas of who God is are are wrong. They're, They're the wrong way of looking at God. I'd like to just clarify a little bit about that tonight. And I'm going to ask you, um, to begin our conversation what is your purpose in life? What's your purpose? you ever thought about that? C.S. Lewis has a famous quote uh, who, he said that uh, it is very curious that a uh, a universe that is devoid of purpose come along by accident is filled with people so obsessed about their own purpose. And so it it often comes up when people think about themselves and about what's going on in their life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? You guys ever thought of that? There, you know, it's in, it's in the the if you know the Westminster Catechisms, in the first question. Anybody know that one? What is the chief end of man? And enjoy him forever. And glorify God. and Enjoy him forever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of kind of reword that just a little bit and say that your purpose, in case you don't know a lot of people don't. Your purpose, the reason you were put on this earth, is to know God and worship him. That's why you're here. So I could also say that if you're not doing that, you are not fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. You know, I, I, I asked you guys to stand up and sit down repeatedly when I first got started, right? And you're probably wondering why I did that. It was not just to get your blood moving. It was to kind of illustrate this idea of the way people go throughout life without a sense of purpose, what they were designed for, what they were created for. You stood up, you put effort into it, you sat down, you put effort into that for no particular reason. There are people all over the world that that wake up in the morning, eat their Wheaties, go to work or go to school, do what they got to do, earn some money, make some friends, come home, eat dinner, go to sleep, sleep for 8 hours or 4 hours if they're partying all night and then get up the next day and start all over start all over again with no particular purpose behind anything that they're doing and just as standing up and sitting down over and over again with no real reason behind it is 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 kind of absurd so is living your life that way it's absurd it's futile it's meaningless. It's, it's hard to live that way and have hope for the future. So, if your purpose is to worship God and know him, um, I'm going to say that there's a prerequisite to that, and that is that God is knowable. Right? If God was that God of deism that kind of wound up the clock of creation, then, then set it into motion, stood back, and just watched it all happen, we might have a God that we would like to know, but we can't because he's aloof and, and somewhere else. He's some, so far other that we could never know him. But what I'm here to tell you today is that the God that we serve is not that. The idea of God being imminent is that God is here God is present. God is transcendent in that that He is higher, above, more than anything we could possibly think of or imagine. He's entirely other, yet He is also imminent, that He is with us, that He is among us, that he is present and therefore knowable. Now uh, if, you, if you would turn with me to Psalm 139, I'm just going to illustrate this a little bit through Scripture. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all See, God knows all things, even what you're going to say before you say it. You hem me in behind and before. you lay your hand upon me. Does God really have hands? No, but He's present. <clears throat> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Guys, as much as you <clears throat> will try to understand God's imminence, you're never going to fully understand it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or death, you are there. If I take the wings of the, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We'll just stop, we'll just stop there in the passage. There is no place There's no place in all of creation that God is not in some way present. There is no place in creation that God is not somehow present. Jeremiah 23, um, verses 23 through 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? I mean, who is this God that can be high and above us, yet fills heaven and fills the earth full of himself? You know, the only the only illustration that i can think of that is even kind of and i said it's going to fail but it's kind of like what it's talking about is that if you had you know if you thought of the universe like a like a pitcher like a pitcher that you would hold liquid in and then you went out in the middle of the ocean and dropped the pitcher down into the ocean and it's floating in the middle of the ocean and you would say the ocean is contained within the pitcher cuz some of it is right But yet the picture is inside the ocean, which is vast, almost infinite. Well, you see, God is kind of like that, in that he is contained-ish in our creation. He is in the universe. He is present here. Yet the universe then is also contained within him, for nothing is outside of God. Nothing. Nothing is outside of God. If I were to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 4 and 6. There is one body and one spirit. One of my favorite verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let me say it again. He is over all, and through all, and in all. All is pretty encompassing. It means all, everything. There's nothing, there is nothing where he is not somehow present. Jesus is described as Emmanuel, God with us. We're rolling up on Christmas time. At our house, it's already Christmas, by the way. November 1st, Christmas season begins. Thanksgiving is just the first feast of Christmas. My lights are up. And I am, I am, you know, singing Jingle Bells, so that's, that, that's the, anyway, I'm, I'm di- digressing. Emmanuel, this thing that we celebrate on Christmas, that God became man, God with us, is an idea of God's imminence, that he is present, he is knowable. He stooped down, humbled himself to become a man, and dwelt among us. In John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him, all things were made, and there was nothing made that was made outside of Him. Yet, down, I think it's verse 14, it says, And the Word made its dwelling with us. The Word of God made its dwelling with us. He is imminent, He is present. God walked with Adam in the the garden. We heard that this morning. God walked with Adam and Eve. God was present in the tabernacle when, when God's people would, would travel and, and, uh, and, and carry the tabernacle with them. God was present there somehow specially. Now, was that the only place that God was? No, because God is somehow specially present, but yet he is everywhere, and that never changes. God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush so God communicates, God shares his plan with us. God, if you study the uh, uh, doctrine of Christophany, Christophanies are Jesus' appearing in the Old Testament, there's a few of them, very interesting stuff, but just another illustration that God made his presence known with men. And probably the most powerful way that God made his presence known to men is through the incarnation. God, the other, it's hard to come up with a thing, the right way to describe him. He is entirely other than anything you could possibly imagine. Yet he, in his mercy and in his humility, came down in the form of a man. That would be like us becoming like an amoeba and traveling around in in lakes and rivers and ponds to meet the other bacterium. It's, It's incredible, right? God became a man and made his dwelling with us. He lived here. God did that. He is present. He made himself present. And beyond that, he left a counselor with us when he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is present with us and makes his dwelling in your own heart. It's incredible the privilege that we have of coming to know God and understand God. There's implications to that. But I'm going to give you a worry here real quick, okay? And I worry for young people especially that have grown up in the church, especially a church that is as doctrinally good as this one. So it's really worry about absolutely you guys. It is very possible to learn all about God. It's very possible for you to understand everything that I'm trying to say here about God's imminence, that God is present, and you doctrinally get it. You, you might even memorize the Bible verses that back it up and say, yes, this is God's word, and I believe it. And all of this stuff that Fred has seen about God's imminence is, imminence is incredible, and I believe it, and I understand it, and I'm ready to teach a lesson on it. That's how, that's how well I know it. And yet, I'm worried that you don't understand and experience the real presence of God in your life you can do all of the stuff that looks very Christian. You can do all the memorizing, the intellectual exercise, the plumbing the depths of all of the knowledge about God that you want. But if you are missing that real, real relationship that you can have with God by experiencing His real presence then you are missing the most important part of this religion. This, what I'm trying to tell you, is an opportunity to actually know God, to know Him. He is knowable. It's not just an idea in your head. He is knowable because He's here, living, active, moving, influencing, inspiring. Each of you know that, and seek to experience it. It's the most important thing, part of anything that I'm going to say tonight. So, the implications of, of uh, the imminence of God. Oh, boy, I'm really going to have to wrap this up. I ramble. Sorry, guys. But, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It is a physical and spiritual reality that God is present Think about this. One of the implications is that every sin that you commit, every sin, all stems from the root of unbelief. You know how I know that? Because if you believed, if you really believed that God was sitting right next to you, would you commit that sin? Probably not. Because, you know, most of the time when you sin, you try to do it in hiding or you try to lock it away so no one knows. But the reality is, is that God is present. God's here. And so all sin stems from a root of the unbelief that that is real. So by experiencing God's presence, God's imminence, in your daily reflection on him and your daily communion with him, you can then root out sin in your life because you will, you will, you will love the communion that you can have with the Holy Spirit more than the sin that would have enticed you before. Think about this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are actual manifestations of the presence of the actual God in your life. They're not just talents you were born with that you developed on your own and honed this skill. The Holy Spirit delivered to you if you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these incredible gifts that he personally gave you, it is a gift from your Father to you. And that is a, it is a beautiful benefit of God's real presence among us. So, so think about this. I'll close with this. Think about the cycle that your life could take if you do not practice the presence and imminence of God in your life. The cycle is that futile standing up and sitting down, accomplishing not much that matters at all. Think about that cycle. And most people would look at that cycle and go, yeah, I really don't want that for me. I don't want that for my life. But I'm here to tell you because God is real, and God is God, that it is that practicing His presence and worshiping Him and knowing Him is the foundational and most important thing you could possibly do with your life. And therefore, in that, you will find that the, the cycle of meaninglessness and purposelessness is broken, and you begin to worship Him. By knowing him, and by knowing him, you become filled with awe and love and wonder. And you look at him and you say, You're incredible, God. And that is what spills over on Sunday morning when you worship God. Then, for therefore, you know, raising your hands and singing with all your might, even if you're off key, is okay. Because you're so filled with awe and wonder about who God is that none of that matters anymore. It's just about Him. He's incredible. And you get to experience that. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day. Tonight, as you're sitting there, while you guys are in these discussion groups talking about the real God and His real presence, He is there with you. He is molding you and guiding you and forming you into the image of his son it's incredible so um, I had Mr. Stalker uh, did you print out those questions Are they, do they have them already ok leaders already have them if you guys would just break up into some small groups uh, figure that out I don't know uh, th- four people 12th grade in front 11th grade in the middle 12th grade in back 12th grade in back Okay, girls, boys, discuss those questions and uh, have a wonderful night.